Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, May 28th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The collapse of Archegos Capital has rippled into the SPAC market, and the man who led the activist campaign against ExxonMobil tells the FT what he expects the oil company to do next. Plus, the U.S. stock market has cooled off, but European equities are heating up. So for once, Europe is actually getting some positive attention. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The U.S. Department of Justice yesterday opened an investigation into Archegos Capital. That's the family investment office that collapsed earlier this year, saddling several major banks with billions of dollars in losses. The mess has also rippled into the market for SPACs, or special purpose acquisition companies. As the FT's Hortensa Aliai explains, banks are pulling back their leverage to hedge funds who are big investors in SPACs. They're predominantly early investors. They get allocations before the SPAC has IPO'd, as in before other investors, public investors can invest in the in the vehicle. And in order to make the returns juicy, they borrow money from their prime broker and they use that money to invest in the SPAC. Um, and it means that they tend to get better returns, right, for what is considered to be a relatively risk-free asset. Now, if everyone remembers going back to Archegos, a lot of the prime brokers across Wall Street, Europe, and Asia fell into a little bit of trouble because of what happened with Bill Wang, who is the founder of the family office. The family office was highly levered. A lot of the banks sustained losses. Um, I think they reached over $10 billion. And so what's happened is internally, they've started to yank leverage. They've started to say, actually, we need to temper this down a little bit. So that means the hedge funds that were playing in, in this different game, in the SPAC game, are also getting less leverage. And that's why it's affecting the SPAC market. Okay, so if I understand this correctly, banks were burned and now they're being more restrained. So, Hortensa, can you tell us how much this will dampen the SPAC market? It's, it's generally difficult for us to say how much of an impact the pullback will have. But one of the signs we do have is that most packs will start trading at $10, right? And usually they should stay at $10 because there's no way to lose that money. It's put in a trust, it earns interest linked to US treasuries. And if you don't like the deal, you can always ask for your money back. So theoretically, risk-free. But what happens is they start trading down if there's a lack of investor interest. And so what we've seen is about 80% um, of the SPACs that are still looking for deals are trading below $10. Now, in a normal market, you might see hedge funds lever up, you know, ask, for, ask to borrow money and start putting that in these vehicles. Because if you're buying in at 980 and the vehicle is worth $10, you're going to make a pretty tidy profit. But we're not seeing that. We're, we're seeing them fall below $10. And, and that's what sort of created this awkward dynamic for a lot of the people who've, you know, listed SPACs. Hortensa Aliai is the FT's mergers and acquisitions correspondent. It has been a historic week for ExxonMobil. The oil giant lost a high-stakes proxy battle to activist investors led by a hedge fund called Engine Number no. 1. The activists are pushing for a profound change to Exxon's business. The campaign was led by Charlie Penner, and right after his stunning victory, he spoke to the FT's Derek Brower and said what he expects Exxon to do now. You know, their job is not to deliver a certain amount of, of barrels every day. It's a deliver a return for shareholders. The first thing we're focused on is 
you know, actually intelligent capital allocation. Penner said Exxon is a high-cost oil provider competing with OPEC countries in a world that'll likely demand less oil. So the company needs to position itself for success. You would certainly need you to believe that that would mean less oil and gas production going forward. That's Charlie Penner, who ran the successful activist investor campaign against ExxonMobil. He spoke to the FT's U.S. energy editor, Derek Brower. Equity markets in Europe are gathering steam. A key indicator of Eurozone company shares, called the MSCI EMU Index, has jumped almost 13% since the end of last year in U.S. dollar terms. And gains this year have propelled it to the highest level since June 2008. To talk about what's going on with European equities, I'm joined by the FT's markets editor, Katie Martin. Hi, Katie. Hey. So many investors are looking to Europe. They're seeing more positive news about its economic recovery, vaccinations. They are still skeptical. What do you see? Investors outside of Europe have not cared about European markets for years, especially ever since the Eurozone debt crisis. That hangs really heavy in the memory of a lot of US fund managers, for example. And that means that European stocks are, by a lot of measures, quite a lot cheaper than they are than stocks are in the States. And we actually have some pretty decent news coming through. You know, vaccination rates are picking up. So for once, Europe is actually getting some positive attention. Could this be overly positive rhetoric, Katie, or are there fundamentals behind this investor excitement about European equities? I don't think it's overly positive. You know, it's still definitely possible to tell a downbeat story about about Europe. It's further behind than than the US. There are still risks hanging around. There's always a chance that central bank makes some sort of mistake, although I think it's extremely uh, low chance of that. You know, stocks are not in Europe are not generally the sorts of things that are going to set the world on fire. So, you know, if you are looking for a bit of kind of high tech growth, then this probably isn't isn't the region for you. You know, it's uh, there's definitely a case for sort of holding your enthusiasm. But it's just interesting that for so long, investors have just completely ignored Europe or at least only ever paid attention to the bad news. And now there's a there's a there's a good news story to, to be told and investors are really responding to it. What could derail this? I mean, the same things that could derail anything, right? You know, any sort of mutation in the virus, any kind of slip up in the health response, you know, that's a risk that's hanging over every part of the world. But the assumption is that if we have got a handle on this and if infection rates are going to keep falling, then there is a pretty positive story to tell about Europe. And also it's worth bearing in mind that a lot of European exports go to China, where the economy is kind of roaring ahead. They were kind of first out of this crisis. Um, So that's also supportive to a lot of different European markets. And also European markets don't tend to be as snazzy as in the States, right? In the States, you've got these kind of really big ticket household name tech stocks that everybody knows and loves. Europe is much more, you know, we're known for things like luxury stocks, and there are a lot more sort of value plays, um, sectors like kind of travel and manufacturing are kind of much more where it's at in Europe. And that's the sort of sector, those are the sorts of sectors that are doing well in this new environment where we move from into a new phase after the pandemic from this kind of whiz-bang phase where super low interest rates just make the high growth stocks shoot higher 
to the point where it's becoming more mature and those value stocks that were beaten down for so long during the pandemic are playing catch up. On the other side of the Atlantic, why has the rally in the U.S. petered out? Is there just nowhere else to go because we've hit the ceiling? It's a really pressing question, actually, and it's something that investors are, are talking about a lot. Definitely some steam has come out of the U.S. stock market and a lot of volume has come out of the U.S. stock market, trading volume. And what fund managers are telling me is that there's just really low levels of conviction now around what happens next. The People are extremely nervous about the inflation outlook, which I know we've discussed before and which is just... It, you know, the, the number one risk in the US is that there is a policy mistake from the Fed. Either the Federal Reserve raises rates too early or it raises rates too late. Either way, the outcome is not going to be great. And um, and that's hanging over the US market. So conviction is very low. Inflation remains something that investors are worrying about. The bulk of the switch in the US from the high tech stocks over to the value stocks that were ignored during the pandemic, that sort of largely happened. And so at least people I speak to don't tend to think that the US market is heading for any sort of correction, but they're just thinking, you know what, maybe we're just heading for a period where we kind of don't really go anywhere. There don't seem to be any new drivers. And so we're a little bit stuck. Kind of a chill period. It's chill. Yes. A little chill period. Katie Martin is the FT's markets editor. Thank you, Katie. You're welcome. Before we go, as the song says, breaking up is hard to do. And negotiations were tense between SoftBank and WeWork founder Adam Newman, but they finally agreed to the terms of a divorce. Newman will get nearly $450 million in cash, stock, and fees. He was forced to step down as CEO after WeWork's failed IPO in 2019. Now, the workspace sharing company is trying to go public again, this time through a SPAC deal. A source told the FT that SoftBank regards the hefty divorce settlement as a reasonable price to pay to, quote, put the Newman era behind them. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help this week from Howard Shannon, Gavin Kalman, and Michael Bruning. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com/bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America NA. Copyright 2024.